0: all right what's going on what's going on y'all happy valentine's day happy roman pagan love holiday um thanks for tuning in this one's gonna be a good one i'm gonna get right into it because it's full of gravy it's full of awesomeness it's gonna be a long one so you know you know the deal dig in get ready or Be sure to pause and pick up where you left off if you can't handle it all. We're doing a book review. I'm going to cover basically the first half of the book in detail and leave the second half up to you. This book is called The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. It is a proper resistance to tyranny and repudiation of unlimited obedience to civil government by Matthew Truhella. I believe it's Truhella. I guess I could do that. (laughs) <laughs> Matthew Truella, we're gonna we're gonna get into it. We're gonna dive into it because this book was amazing, uh, amazing. And again, we're talking about it tonight. I'm gonna cover a lot of the first half of the book, and we're gonna read the intro, and we're gonna read one of the. There's like three or four appendices at the at the end, kind of like mini discussions at the end. We're gonna talk about one of them. And I highly recommend, I cannot stress enough that that you get this book, (laughs) that you get yourself a copy of it yourself and read it and not only read it and know it for yourself, but also just to have it because, uh, seems like a book that's, you know, it's not like inherently dangerous or anything. There's no actual like real call to violence at all in it. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what this is about, but, um, it's something that is a threat to power and, those tend to be burned or deleted or censored, you know? So while you can, while you still can, get your hands on a book, few, maybe maybe at least one if not a few copies of this, and uh, just stash on in your bookshelf for later use if you're not going to read it right away. No matter who you are, no matter what you believe or what stage of life this is for you or uh, <laughs> what stage of history you're watching this in right now or 30, 40 years from now, um this book has a lot of insight and wisdom that you need to know and understand and some encouragement. As always, when I cover books on my stream, I'm gonna summarize it at times, I'm gonna quote it mostly, <laughs> paraphrase it, put it into my own words, take some of the stories and uh add my own context to it, mix it all together, make it my own thoughts and opinions. Um And yeah, you know the deal, you know the drill. My girlfriend's in the chat says happy Valentine's Day, yes. <laughs> yes, I am here streaming tonight for y'all instead of uh, being with my girlfriend on Valentine's Day. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but let's get into it because this might be a long one. The opening page reads For Christ Who Set Me Free. I just think that might be the greatest opening to any book of all time ever. <laughs> maybe the book of john you know in the beginning was the word but just for christ who set me free it's pretty epic and i'm gonna read this intro because i started like paraphrasing it and i was just like you know what this whole thing just needs to be read this is again one of the best intros to any book of all time so we're gonna read it again this book is the doctrine of the lesser magistrates by Matthew J. Truhella. Is this audio working right? Yep. It's good. In the course of human history, the abuse of authority by men through the arm of the state is not an uncommon occurrence. Western civilization has pillared safeguards to help prevent this. Nevertheless, a citizenry must remain vigilant and understand both the purpose and limitations of the state. If a citizenry does not know the purpose and limitations of the state, then the civil government can misuse its power because the citizenry is unable to measure when something improper is occurring. For there to be any indignation towards acts of tyranny by the state, one must be able to recognize that tyranny is taking place. Aldous Huxley, in his book Brave New World, wrote of a citizenry of slaves who would love their enslavement. Huxley writes, A really efficient totalitarian state would be one in which the all-powerful executive of political bosses and their army of managers control a population of slaves who do not have to be coerced because they love their servitude." Unknowingly, Americans have accepted the role of Huxley's servant-minded people for decades. This is due in part to the fact that people love comfort and tend to avoid conflict. Is that not a reoccurring theme on my uh, <laughs> streams? Americans have accepted the role of Huxley's servant-minded people for decades. This is due in part to the fact that people love comfort and tend to avoid conflict. However... The other part of the equation is that people have lost the yardstick by which they should measure the limits of government. As a consequence, we in America have become a slave-like people with the federal government acting more as a master than a, as a servant providing justice for its people. What's going on, said? Thank you for being here. When you go to Washington, D.C. today, you cannot help but notice that it has become like a fortress. The heavily fortified nature of the place reminds one of what Plato said to the tyrant Dionysius when he saw him on the streets of Sicily, surrounded by his many bodyguards. What harm have you done that you should need to have so many guards? In a very real sense, one is right to say our federal government has harmed the American people. Review the current federal laws, policies, and bureaucracies, and you cannot help but see that it has caused much harm to the institutions and traditions of our people. It is as if, over the course of time, we have been attacked and plundered. In the past, the pulpits in our nation instructed the people in the purpose, functions, and limitations of the state. Many pastors preached every year what became known as election and artillery sermons. These sermons were routinely preached during the first 100 years of our nation. Clergymen understood and taught their congregations that God's word addressed all matters of life, including the matters of civil government. Today, however, most pulpits are silent about God's word when it comes to civil government. In fact, most just teach unlimited obedience to the state, as though there are no limitations to the state's rule. By default, they teach that whatever the civil government rules legislatively is therefore the will of God. This type of clergyman was ever-present near the Revolutionary War area. The Reverend William Gordon of Roxbury, Massachusetts, Preached regarding such men in 1794 when he declared, Though the partisans of arbitrary power will freely censure that preacher who speaks boldly for the liberties of the people, they will admire as an excellent divine the parson whose discourse is holy in the opposite and teaches that magistrates have a divine right for doing wrong and are to be implicitly obeyed. Men professing Christianity as if the religion of the blessed Jesus bound them to bow their neck to any tyrant. Sound familiar? 300, 200 years later? 250 years later? The authority of the state does have limits. The authority of the state does have limits. America's present-day pulpits need to repent of their idolatrous views regarding the state. True Christianity produces liberty. Even the Christ-hating 17th century philosopher David Hume had to admit so. He said, The precious sparks of liberty were kindled and preserved by the Puritans in England, and that, to this sect, whose principles appear so frivolous and whose habits so ridiculous, the English owe the whole freedom of their constitution. The church pulpits are the historical means whereby the people are instructed from a theological foundation in the purpose, functions, and limitations of the state. When a citizenry's view of the state is theologically driven, the state can no longer get away with doing whatever just tickles its fancy. This is because an informed citizenry, one which recognizes transcendent law, is vigilant and will not tolerate abuse, or tyranny. 1 Corinthians 7.23 commands, Do not become the slaves of men. Because of human nature, however, men tend to want to be ruled and cared for, rather than take on responsibility and and cherish liberty. Because of human nature, tyranny from time to time raises its ugly head. Because of human nature, men will endure a long train of abuses and usurpations. That's a weirdly beautiful word, usurpations. (laughs) However, men will endure a long train of abuses and usurpations only to a certain point. When the civil government continues to assault men's rights and liberties through unconstitutional, unjust, or immoral laws, policies, or bureaucratic decrees, honorable men will eventually weary of it and begin to take a stand. Those men who do begin to stand, however, want to be assured that their efforts are legitimate and proper. Thankfully, America's founders established three well-known boxes by which we can preserve liberty and resist tyranny. They are the ballot box, the jury box, and the cartridge box. (laughs) Powerful, right? The ballot box, the, the jury box, and the cartridge box. The ballot box provides opportunity to remove unjust rulers through the vote. The jury box provides citizens not only the right to judge the facts in a case, but to judge the law itself. The jury can determine whether a law is being misapplied or can find a law unjust or immoral altogether. The jury can acquit on either basis, regardless of what the judge or jury instructions say. The cartridge box refers to an armed citizenry. Based, right? (laughs) The cartridge box refers to an armed citizenry. America's founders knew that an armed citizenry not only helps repel an invading foreign force, but also acts as a check against tyranny from our own government. But a lesser known tool which the founders themselves employed is the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. The lesser magistrate doctrine provides the best means to rein in a higher authority that has spurned its limitations. The doctrine of the lesser magistrates is rooted in scripture and found throughout the history of mankind. The doctrine offers great hope to a nation of people who groan under the yoke of tyrannical behavior by the state. This book assumes that the reader already understands the dire condition of America. There have been countless books written over the last 20 years detailing America's demise and the march towards tyranny via the federal government. This book spends little time decrying darkness. Rather, this book is meant to bring hope and encouragement. Amen, Amen. right? It places within the hands of those concerned about our nation a blueprint and means by which a stand can be made against the federal government that has trampled our Constitution, assaults our person, liberty, and property, and impugns the law of God. Americans are now merely a completely conquered people. We do not have to sit by, hand-wringing and passively submitting to our own destruction, however. The doctrine of the lesser magistrates provides a legitimate and proper means to restore order and resist tyranny. History has proven that peasant revolts are easily put down by the state. The lesser magistrate doctrine is effective in quelling abuses by the higher authority and does so often without the shedding of blood which is crucial. This book is not nor is it intended to be a comprehensive or exhaustive declaration of the lesser magistrate doctrine rather it is intended to be a primer. It is a starting place from which deeper study can be done by individuals It is my hope that this book incites others to write further on this doctrine and awakens people to deeper love and fear for God and a greater vigilance to preserve liberty. My prayer is that this book might be used in stopping America's death march into tyranny and oppression and point men back to Christ and his rule. Matthew Shuhela, 2013. Yeah. Again, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates by Matthew J. Truhella. Be sure to pick up a copy. So what is this Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates? So again, this is going to be quotes, paraphrase, my my take, my opinions mixed in. A lot of quotes from the book um, from basically the first half. I think the first, what is there, 12 chapters? And I think I did seven of the chapters. Because I want to leave the rest of it up to you. I really do want you to get a copy of this or copies of this for yourself and read it. So what is the doctrine of the lesser magistrates? First, it is a Christian doctrine first formalized by the pastors of Magdeburg, Germany. The phrase magistrate is an old term for any grouping of people in civil government with authority, either elected or appointed. The lesser magistrate doctrine declared that when the superior or higher civil authority makes unjust or immoral laws or decrees, the lesser or lower-ranking civil authority has both a right and a duty to refuse obedience to that superior authority. If necessary, the the lesser authorities even have the right and obligation to actively resist the superior authority. A memorable statement that serves as a summary for the doctrine of a lesser magistrate actually came from a higher magistrate. Um, And there's a lot of these like cool little examples and stories of history that I've kind of left out. So definitely again, get a copy of this because it's so much better than what I'm, what I'm even breaking down here. I'm leaving out a, a bunch of the best stuff. Um, But again, a memorable statement that serves as, so this is one of those I'm going to include, these little historical stories and examples. A memorable statement that serves as a summary for the doctrine of the lesser magistrate actually comes from a higher magistrate. Roman Emperor Trajan, while appointing a subordinate authority, handed him a sword and instructed him to. Use this sword against my enemies if I give righteous commands. But if I give unrighteous commands, use this sword against me. Based. (laughs) That is based, (laughs) y'all. That is a righteous king, right? Caesar, whatever. This practice was historically implemented before Christ and the Christians that followed his physical life here. But it was Christian men who formalized and embedded it into their political institutions throughout Western civilization. The nobles who opposed King John's tyranny in 1215 were some of those Christian men. These lesser magistrates forced the tyrant king to sign a treaty acknowledging certain rights for men. The Magna Carta stood in defiance of tyranny and oppression and made it clear that the state has limitations, that all people are subject to the law, even government officials. This overwhelmingly powerful agreement, one that stands even until today as one of the primary influences that shaped the course of justice and constitutional law in Europe and in North and South America, was the product of christian men and their culture certain unjust and immoral actions by king john along with his fiscal tyranny through taxation and fees caused the nobles who were functioning as lesser magistrates to defy his higher authority king john signed that document giving the people of england their cherished rights only because of the combined swords of the lesser magistrates who gathered to demand its signing. In what would become the United States, the lesser magistrate doctrine had a huge impact upon the thinking of our founders and upon our nation's people regarding government and law. Today, however, neither the magistrates nor the people know of this doctrine as America's comfort-seeking and conflict avoidant people have been silent regarding it. If ever this nation needs to understand the lesser magistrate doctrine, it is now. It is now. The attacks upon the law of God are ferocious and relentless. The preborn are murdered, and sodomy is proliferated. Immoral and unjust edicts are commonplace. The assault upon our freedom and liberties seems to be a daily undertaking by those in high office. But one thing has not changed. The lesser magistrate has a duty before God to uphold the good, regardless of the new definitions of law, quote unquote, law, created by the state. Historically, the practice of the church has been that when the state commands that which God forbids or forbids that which God commands, men have then a duty to obey God rather than men, than man. Again, for those in the back, (laughs) those in the back, uh, men have a duty to first, foremost, and always obey God rather than obeying God man. The Bible clearly teaches this principle time and time again, and the lesser magistrate is to apply this principle to his office and position. When an unjust decree is made by a higher authority, the lesser magistrate must choose to either join the higher magistrate in his rebellion against God or stand with God in opposition to the unjust or immoral decree. The Lesser Magistrate Doctrine is clearly founded in Scripture and seen in history, and it is actively exercised in our day. As our nation continues to sink into rebellion, immorality, and depravity, (laughs) the Lesser Magistrate Doctrine needs to be explained both to magistrates themselves and to the people of our country. And to everyone tuning into my live stream right here, right now, (laughs) Listen up, (laughs) y'all. The doctrine of the lesser magistrates is rooted in the historical biblical doctrine of interposition. Interposition is that calling of God which causes one to step into the gap, willingly placing oneself between the oppressor and his intended victim. Interposition is demonstrated when someone or some group interposes or positions themselves between an oppressor and the intended victim. This can be done verbally or physically. You know, the guy who breaks up a fight, right? <laughs> the guy who stands in the way of someone beating up a victim, right? Mugging a victim, robbing a victim, the, the classic like like thief that's stealing the old lady's pur- pur- purse right Interposition is the man who stands up who has a duty to interfere in that unlawful immoral transaction right The lesser magistrate demonstrates the doctrine of interposition by placing himself between the tyrant or bad law and the people when placing himself between the tyrant and the person the tyrant is seeking to oppress scripture and history are full of acts of interposition it is also usually found in the best movies and television shows it's kind of like the best movies and tv out there are this right (laughs) a hero who stands up to the bad guy When the protagonist takes a stand for the little guy, does what is right, and is willing to sacrifice himself for the greater good, we can all relate to this, right? We either can personally relate to this, we've been the victim, we've been the person that stands up to the oppressor, or we've just seen it in our books and our movies. We've all either, you know, seen or felt it in real life, or we've seen it in our culture. It's not a foreign concept to us. We just haven't had it spelled out and explained to us before, really. We are the heroes of our own story. We need to not ever forget that. We need to know that and not forget that. We are the heroes of our own story. And we are the ones who stand up for what is good, what is true, and what is beautiful. Willing to surrender and sacrifice in order to maintain or achieve that. Those of us who are living righteously, that is. (laughs) In America during the late 1980s and early 90s, tens of thousands of people were arrested at abortion clinics for blockading the doors, or interposing, on behalf of the helpless, preborn, threatened with a brutal death. When the press and public questioned the legitimacy of such acts, they were informed by those involved that they were simply practicing the historic Christian doctrine of interposition. When it comes to the lesser magistrate, he interposes for the people as a whole, placing himself between the unjust laws or decrees of the higher authority and the people. The lesser magistrates act as a buffer for the people, placing themselves between the unjust laws or decrees of the higher authority and the people. The higher authority always wants to eliminate and prevent any and all resistance to its authority. It's just smart strategy on their part. America's founders, however, understood that acts of interposition were not dependent upon favorable rulings by the higher authority. The founding of our nation was an act of interposition by lesser magistrates. The Declaration of Independence being the pinnacle. The legislatures of the colonies sent delegates to comprise the first and second Continental Congresses. They represented the colonies. They were magistrates. The declaration they wrote cited the offenses and tyranny of the upper tier of British government, King George and his parliament. Patrick Henry, when he gave his famous give me liberty or give me death speech, underscored the tyranny of England's parliament the hardened response of King George and the need for the Continental Congress to interpose on behalf of the people in the United States or the colonies at the time. Henry stated, Sir, we have done everything that could be done to avert the storm which is now coming. We have petitioned. We have remonstrated. We have supplicated. We have prostrated ourselves before the throne and have implored its interposition to arrest the tyrannical hands of the ministry and the parliament. Our petitions have been slighted, our remonstrances have been produced, additional violence and insults, our supplications have been disregarded, and we have been spurned, with contempt, from the foot of the throne. In vain, after these things, may we indulge the fond hope of peace and reconciliation." I hate reading old-timey words because like, I kind of know what they mean and I kind of don't. I'm like kind of guessing what they mean at times, you know? <laughs> Patrick Henry and his speech became famous precisely because he was a lesser magistrate in the Virginia legislature, legislature, the House of Burgesses. The common people rallied to the revolt of this lesser magistrate when he stood up and spoke such interposition of the lesser magistrate provides action by duly constituted lawful authority when individuals see immoral or unjust actions become law and policy in their nation they desire to see the injustice corrected the interposition of lesser magistrates provides the strength needed to resist a tyrant and acts as a buffer for the common man who might be persuaded to resist unlawful encroachments alone and by his own strength. <laughs> Honking in the chat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome in, Patrick. My man said, girlfriends in the chat, thank you for tuning in. Send me comments or questions you have. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about talking about the truckers and the wars next week. So, uh be sure to tune in for that. So God is the ultimate authority. Hey, did you know? <laughs> hey, did you know this? Did, were you aware of this that God is the ultimate authority? If not, go back an episode. Hit, hit hit rewind on the playlist you're listening to this on or, you know, go back to live stream 80 83. Yeah, 83 called authority (laughs) last week's episode. Click, click, click back and listen to my last episode and you will know and understand that God alone is the ultimate authority overall. That is not to ever be forgotten or dismissed. You will obey God or you will suffer the consequences sorry, <laughs> sorry, not sorry, you will obey God. He is your rightful, true, ultimate authority, or you will suffer the consequences, you know. The Bible says plainly, the most high rules over the realm of mankind. And God has established for us four, four realms of government to which he delegates authority. One is self-government, Two is family government. The third is church government. And the fourth is civil government, which is what we tend to think of government, quote unquote, government being. Even though government itself means basically controlling a mind, the government, the mind and how one controls it. That's a whole not not part of the stream topic we'll get into at some point. (laughs) the mind control of the government each of these realms of government has its own role its own function and its own jurisdiction am I freezing? am I frozen? no we're rolling we're rocking we're rolling each of these has its own role its own function and its own jurisdiction if one invades the jurisdiction of the other chaos or tyranny ensues each of these governments has positions of authority self-government's authority is that of the individual i'm good right on thank you chat thank you (laughs) said thank you i was frozen on my computer i guess so again each of these governments has positions of authority self-government's authority is that of the individual the self in family government the man is the head of the home His wife acts as co-regent, and both of them have authority over their children and their property. In church government, there are offices of elder, deacon, and pastor to guide people, the community, spiritually. And in civil government, there are many and various positions of authority, ranging from a policeman all the way to the president or king. And the authority that an individual possesses in any one of these four realms of government is delegated authority. It's a crucial phrase, delegated authority, because they derive their authority from God. All four derive their authority at the end of the day from God. We didn't make it. We didn't create it. The creator did. Their authority is not autonomous or unconditional. Their authority is God-given, and thus they have a duty to govern in accordance with His rule. A father has a duty before God to instruct his children and lead them into righteous living. His power and authority shall never contradict or replace that of God just because he has an earthly position of power. The authority a man has over his wife and children has been delegated to him by God. And that man, therefore, has a duty to govern his home in accordance with God's rule. The same applies to civil government. Its power is not unlimited, nor is its rule autonomous. The state does not just get to create law out of thin air or by whim. They do not get to just make up laws as they go. And men must know and be reminded that the state is not God and has no authority or higher rank than he. The authority of the state is limited. Its power is delegated to it from God. That the authority of the state is delegated from God is seen, among other places, in Romans 13. And we're going to get to that at the end. (laughs) We're going to really dive into Romans 13, guys. Don't worry. The first verse of which declares there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So these governments that exist in our earthly realm do have a duty to govern in conformity with his rule. America's founders understood that the civil government's authority was delegated and limited. They stated in the Declaration of Independence that all men are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They understood that rights did not originate from the state, but rather were given to men by God. Rights did not and do not originate from the state, but rather they are given to men by God. Britain has ceased to rule and function within its God-ordained limits. Therefore, America's colonists found themselves in conflict with her. The very next line of the Declaration states that to secure their rights Governments are instituted among men. So, when a government ceases to protect the citizenry of their God-given rights, but instead constructs laws attacking and depriving men of those rights, that government has perverted its power and has decided to play the tyrant. Such a government is to be resisted and not obeyed regarding those areas of unjust laws. The state's authority is not autonomous nor unlimited. Rulers are not to contravene, violate, oppose, or contradict God's law. And citizens of any state are not bound to hold unlimited obedience to the civil government. The king is a king precisely because he rules in the fear of the Lord and according to his law. When the king makes law contrary to God's law, he then becomes a tyrant and his days shall be numbered. What's up, Demon Hunter? What's going on? (laughs) Evening. Again, all authority here on earth, including civil authority, is delegated authority, By and for God. When a higher authority makes unjust law, he abuses his power and may be resisted. When the lesser magistrate sees the higher magistrate make bad law, it is the right and the duty of the lesser magistrate to interpose against such false law. For tyranny is abuse of power entrusted by God to man. All tyrants are in open rebellion against God. It's just, that's like the simple, simple, let's be simple here. All tyrants basically, (laughs) in the true sense of the word, are just those who are in rebellion against God. And it is the responsibility of all the children of God to oppose these tyrants and any unjust law. Romans 13 is not to be used out of context to make men bend the knee to tyrants which is so often the case, but rather it is to inform a population that their allegiance is to God and those who have properly accepted the authority given to them by him. Unfortunately, many people today are unconsciously schooled in statism. They think that the authority of the civil government is absolute and limitless. This is going to vary nation by nation, but this is generally the case in all of the nations of the world today. They think the authority of the civil government is absolute and limitless. They think that rights and law originate with with the state. People truly believe their rights come from the state. They have come to believe that the state is the originator of laws and rights, even though It is in stark contrast to America's Declaration of Independence, which recognizes clearly that rights are given of God to men. The Declaration of of Independence is not the government giving us rights. It's telling us our rights against a government. It's telling us what basically the government is not allowed to do to us because we have God-given rights. The Lesser Magistrate Doctrine reminds the higher authority that their power is delegated and limited. No man who holds state office rules with autonomy. The authority he has is delegated to him by God. And all those in positions of authority stand accountable to God. This standard is seen in all areas of government, in family government, If a husband tells his wife to murder his children, then she has a duty not to obey. If a husband decides to murder his children and forbids his wife from stopping him, she has a duty to try and stop him anyway. So too is it with civil government and church government. If the higher authority commands that which God forbids or forbids what God commands, The lesser magistrate must not obey and, if necessary, must actively resist. The state is not God. The state's authority is not limitless. They don't get to do whatever just seems good or beneficial to them or to some people. Men have a duty not to give unlimited obedience to civil government and must oppose any in authority, when they make unjust or immoral laws. Yeah. (laughs) Demon Hunter Bear in the chat says, So basically, all government is illegitimate unless truly ordained by God, not just because said government calls itself ordained by God. Yes and no. Not all government is illegitimate, and even illegitimate governments are put there for a reason. They're put there for us, For this purpose, for us to know our rights and to stand up for it. A test of us, right? Like, Satan's existence and his temptation is not illegitimate, right? It's it's ordained by God. Like, the evil exists because it's necessary for us to choose good, to overcome the evil. So too is corrupt government. (laughs) It's put there for us to overcome it. We are to say no. Duty, which is a crucial crucial term to uh, know and understand in general, but especially in this book and in this topic, duty is that which a person owes to another, or by which a person is bound to another, by any natural, moral, or lawful obligation to perform. Duty is any action required by one's position or by moral or lawful considerations. A magistrate is a person clothed with power as a public civil officer, whether executive, legislative, or judicial. As the title implies, a lesser magistrate is one who possesses less power than a higher magistrate, and the position of lesser magistrate can be obtained by election or by appointment. The primary duty of the Lesser Magistrate regarding the doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates is threefold. 1. They are to oppose and resist any laws or edicts from the higher authority that contravene the law or word of God. 2. They are to protect the person, liberty, and property of those who reside within their jurisdiction from any unjust or immoral laws or actions by the higher authority. 3. They are not to implement any laws or decrees made by the higher authority that violate the Constitution and, if necessary, resist them. They cannot hide behind the excuses of, I'm just doing my job or I'm just following the law of the land. Right? (laughs) As some attempt to escape their duty. The duty of the lesser magistrate is to uphold that which is right in the sight of God and to protect the people where his local authority or function resides. This is a sacred duty. It's opposing a law, but it is your duty, right? <clears throat> we define it as sacred because it is founded in Scripture and proceeds from God. Lesser magistrates or local authorities are not to just unquestioningly do the bidding of the higher authorities. And the lesser magistrates in America today need to be reminded that a magistrate who upholds or follows an unjust or immoral law becomes complicit in the higher authorities' rebellion against God. Lesser magistrates, by virtue of their office, Constitute lawful authority. When the lesser magistrate stands against unjust or immoral law made by a superior, his actions benefit those under his jurisdiction, as well as the nation as a whole. Simply put, the lesser magistrate provides order when the superior authority acts unjustly or immorally, and its abuse of power needs to be quelled. Disobeying authority needs to be understood as not some trifling matter, right? It isn't like, I'm grumpy, therefore I'm going to rebel. Or I'm angry, or I got, I'm offended, so therefore I'm getting my gun, you know? <laughs> when to disobey should not be left to the whims of mere men. There must be an objective standard to determine if a law is moral or immoral, just or unjust. There must be an objective standard to know if a law is right or wrong, not our opinions or our feelings on the matter. Until relatively recently in recorded human history, the objective standard was the law of God. It still is in some places, um, but that's dwindling and that's being slowly degraded away, right? You know it, you can feel it. God's law was the objective standard for all of Western civilization until just a century or two back, or even just decades back in some places. All, whether king or commoner, were accountable to the higher law, the law of God. God's moral law as the higher law provides an objective standard whereby one is able to discern right from wrong or good from evil. The higher law exists independently of the authority of any government, and all governments of men are accountable to it. The tyrant state abhors an objective standard to which it is accountable. Rather, it flourishes in a subjective environment. It seeks to be held accountable to no one. William Blackstone is the most cited legal scholar in the writings of America's founding fathers. He was a British jurist who wrote a four volume work entitled Commentaries on the Laws of England in 1766. Blackstone claimed that the higher law is God's law, that which is revealed in the Bible. He wrote, It is binding over all the globe in all countries and at all times. No human laws are of any validity if contrary to this. And such of them are as are valid, derive all their force and all their authority immediately or immediately from this original. The doctrines thus delivered, we call the revealed or divine law, and they are found only in the holy scriptures. He went on to say, man considered as a creature ...must necessarily be subject to the laws of his creator... ...for he is entirely a dependent being... ...a dependent being... Blackstone was, acknowledged, was acknowledging what Western men knew to be true... ...that the law of God was the objective standard for Western civilization... ...Blackstone viewed God's law as the higher law to whom all men... And all governments of men were accountable. There must be an objective standard to judge the purpose and limits of the state. Without it, the man made institutions of the world can just do whatever they please because the people who are subject to them will not know any differently. If a citizenry does not know the purpose, functions, and limitations, of the state and the state can do whatever it wants whatever it wants to do because the citizenry doesn't realize that anything improper is being done for there to be any indignation towards acts of tyranny by the state one must be able to identify tyranny you have to know know in the first place right? and the law of God is that objective standard so that men know when governments are making unjust or immoral law, when an objective standard is thrown off, law is easily and constantly redefined by the state and society. Man's passions and desires begin to determine what is lawful. All right, my feelings, my emotions. I need a safe space. <laughs> um, man makes himself the standard, and because of the nature of man, the standard changes all of the time. For this reason, an objective standard of law is always and everywhere necessary, one which does not change, and which is applicable to all mankind, everywhere, at all times. And today we are living in a period of time where many believe there is no objective standard to which the governments of men are accountable. The results are obviously disastrous. <laughs> we are about to really start heading into the disastrous results of all of this, right? <laughs> in times like these, good becomes redefined as evil, and evil becomes redefined as good. A person who might try to protect a preborn child from death spends the night in jail, while an abortionist who murdered that helpless child goes home and sips martinis next to his fireplace. What every society needs in every place at all times is the moral law of God. His law is an objective standard. His law is objective truth. He is the creator of all. He knows best how we are to be governed. He declares what is right and what is wrong. His law and truth is not subjective. Rather, it is objective. When Jesus said, "Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's," he was making very clear that the civil government has limitations. The state is not the final authority. It cannot just declare anything to be its own. They cannot make up laws they go nor change the immutable laws of God. The authority they have is delegated to them from God; it is not autonomously held. Despite what the Satanists want you to believe, right? Do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, right? Early Christian men took a early Christian men took a stand and defied the state when it crossed its limitations and as a result, many early Christians suffered martyrdom because they would not bend the knee and obey a state that had exceeded its God-given authority. These Christians constructed thought as to how a godly society should be structured, and the persuasion of their thinking resulted in Christians overturning the greatest empire of the world, Rome. From there, Christianity, which breeds liberty, spread across the Western world, freeing nations from the tyranny of the strongest and most brutal. Christianity went on to establish the rule of law that those in Western civilization have come to know and love. This rule of law is simply that the law is king. All are subject to the laws of the land, both king and commoner. Both government officials and citizens, and that law is equatable to them all. And God's law was the standard by which the rule of law was established for Western civilization. His law was viewed as the higher law to which all men and all governments of men were accountable. The rule of law as we know it is a Western civilization phenomenon is fueled by Christianity. This rule of law is crumbling in America today and throughout the Western world. Um, You know, as those who choose to reject God also will eventually choose to reject his laws, right? His authority. Christian thinker and author, off offer Christian thinker and author (laughs) Francis Schaeffer once said If there are no absolutes by which to judge society, then society becomes an absolute. And this is what is happening to the rule of law in America today. Our state and society, which are constantly changing based on the feelings and thoughts of men, substitute their own reasoning as the standard of law. We have abandoned objective truth, and as a result, we are facing the collapse of that which allowed us to build the greatest empire of all recorded human history. Whether that be for the best or the worst, right? Over the last several decades, America appears to have thrown the law of God under the bus. There has been what appears to be an intentional, systematic effort by the state, its corporations, academia, and certain wealthy men to ridicule, undermine, and set aside god's law as the rule of law for america even american christianity at large with its desire to indulge in earthly comforts and worldly status has spurned the law of god the inevitable result is the crumbling of the rule of law and people see it (laughs) people see it they can feel it they know it's up Whether you want to admit it or not, whether you're an honest or dishonest person, you know it deep down what's happening. Um, And even if you don't clearly understand what's going on, you can feel it. You know deep down what's happening. People may not understand that it is the rule of law that is crumbling, that the law itself is no longer king, but they intuitively know that something is wrong in our nation and that bad times are incoming as a result. The federal government has begun to exceed its limitations over the last few decades and have come to act as if they are above the law in many aspects. Americans have become ruled by bureaucracies that are immune from the law and allow no remedy at law to rein them in so that the citizens can rightfully protect themselves. When people see those in authority as no longer upholding the law, but rather as perverting the law, They will only endure it so long before they go in one of two directions. They will either decide to take action against the state or they will accommodate and adjust themselves to the state of things, working the system to their own personal benefit. As this begins to happen, and we are seeing this more by the day, (laughs) anarchy and brute force lie ahead for the Western man. The Western man who has failed to realize yet, I mean, some of us get it, right? But by and large, the Western man has failed to realize yet that by refusing to be governed by God, he will instead be ruled by tyrants. You will be ruled by someone. Is it God or is it another man? Because men today have decided to throw aside the law of God The civil government over them has been given a green light to make up law on a whim. And those in power have begun to arrogantly redefine right and wrong, truth and error, good and evil. Because man wants to throw off the law of God, only misery and despair lie ahead for these Western men. You and I. (laughs) You and I. The law of God has been attacked by people holding power, whether statists, socialists, politicians, scientists, scholars, academics, entertainers, egalitarians, educators, and even pastors, preachers, and priests. Man arrogantly desires to be, to be a law unto himself, despising the law of God. So the rule of law in Western civilization is, Having been based upon the law of God is now crumbling. And again, you can feel it. We all know what we all know it. We all realize it. And it will continue to do so. Only a return to God and His right ways, truly submitting to His authority above and beyond all of the men of this earth will correct the path we are on and help to rebuild what has already been lost. Until then, as America and the rest of the Western world crumbles due to its rejection of God's law, we will at times be presented with opportunities when godly lesser magistrates can decide to stand in the gap. They will need to interpose for the sake of the rule of law, for the sake of the people they represent, and defy bad law, regardless of the personal consequences for doing so. Present-day magistrates need to know of the lesser magistrate doctrine so that conscience prods them more vigorously in their duty and responsibility in the sight of God. They will then be prepared to act in defense of the people they represent. The people also need to understand the lesser magistrate doctrine so that when the lesser magistrates stand, the people can rally around them and support them in their just cause and righteous duty. Not only do the magistrates and the lesser magistrates need to understand this, but the people around them need to as well. They need to recognize what's going on so that they can also act. They can support them. When the lesser magistrates act righteously, there will be those who will accuse them of anarchy and chaos. Because Americans today have been foolishly led to believe in trusting the experts, and the scientists, and (laughs) to follow their feelings and their emotions instead of the logic and righteousness of the law our founders drafted. Thomas Aquinas declared that an unjust law is no law at all. And the Nuremberg trials showed that unquestioned obedience to man's laws, man's law, was to be soundly condemned. Western history points out our duty to disobey when ordered to do that which is unjust or wrong, even when the civil government has found a way to make it legal. As America's founders were known to say, disobedience to tyrants is obedience to God. The duty to resist unjust law is the product of Christian thought. Our loyalty is to Christ first, not man, not the state. So when the civil government makes unjust or immoral laws or policies, we obey Christ, not the state. Christianity acts as a check to tyranny. The whole of society should be thankful for the preservation of liberty that Christianity has made and allowed. Christians are in the best are in fact the best citizens as we obey the state and are productive in commerce we disobey the state only when they make unjust or immoral law. when the lesser magistrates are accused of insubordination or anarchy because they interpose against bad law, the counterfeit man-made rule of law will be heralded heralded, by the statists. They will sing and herald the mantra, we must obey the rule of law, like mindlessly. Obey the rule of law. Romans 13, obey your government, right? Mindlessly chanting that without any understanding of what is really, <laughs> what the real meaning of all of this is and what really is going on and our duty and responsibilities outside of the law. But. If that rule of law that everyone's going to mindlessly want to vocally support, right? If that rule of law itself is unjust and immoral, then what virtue is there in supporting it? To do so is to stand the true rule of law on its head. Men should not respect the rule of law just because it's the rule of law. (laughs) Rather, we respect it because, as Blackstone said... It does not contradict the law of God, the higher and highest authority. This is why Western civilization respected the rule of law for nearly 1,500 years, precisely because it was based upon the law of God. And so, yeah, again, that's basically a summary and quoting and paraphrasing the first half of the book. It is... Really only about 75 pages long. It's not some big, giant, boring read. It's actually pretty interesting and cool. Um, I Again, can't can't recommend more that you guys get a copy of this and read it. Again, the book is The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates by Matthew Truhella. Get a copy or four. <laughs> not only to have it and read it yourselves, but, you know, just to have cop- physical copies of it going forward in the future. Because uh, it might eventually get hard to get your hands on stuff like this. Um, yeah, they will certainly, they quote unquote, will certainly, the tyrants <laughs> will certainly become increasingly hostile against work like works like this. So not just this book, but others like it, right? Things that tell pe- tell people how to rightfully and justly oppose tyranny <laughs> will be burned by the tyrants, right? Um and you know, works like this that actually inform people of what our rights and our duty is and what our oaths are and what the meaning of things actually are. Our response to law and to happenings in this world as Christians, um, that don't involve just grabbing guns and shooting people, <laughs> those things are gonna be burned and silenced and censored and deplatformed, right? What they want us to do is overreact. They want us to get angry, and we're going to talk about this next week, so tune in. They want us to get angry. They want us to be scared. They want us to overreact. They want us to grab the cartridge boxes and think of that as our only way out, right? We're going to shoot our way out of this. We're going to let our blind rage and our blood <laughs> The tree of liberty must be soaked in the blood or whatever, you know. They want us to think that's our only way out. They don't want us to know that there's actual like constitutionally backed and legally backed ways to stand up and resist tyrants and resist unlawful, unjust un- immoral and unrighteous authority. The lesser magistrates can stand in the way of the higher magistrates that are ungodly. So all the, you know, the Satanists in charge, which they are, <laughs> those in rebellion against God are now in charge of the highest places, the highest uh, branches of government okay that might may or may not be valid i'm going to tend to agree that that's the case but we as the people of the state of the nation and we that should be in control of the lesser magistrates the local authorities need to be doing a better job of knowing our legal authority our legal rights and our duty to stand up and resist that because we still can and we will The doctrine of the lesser magistrates must be understood by Christians in America today. Must be understood. And we need to know and understand what the law is, both the civil laws and the rule of law, God's law, and our duties and responsibilities to uphold it, respond to it, and to use it properly. Again, this book is The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates by Matthew Trujella. Make sure to grab a copy of it for yourselves to read and to own for the future. It's more than worth it. I'm pretty sure it's cheap online. It's way more than worth it. I'm also going to try to eventually get this author on my stream to talk more about this and just pick his brain on other topics, so cross your fingers and stay tuned. If you know him, hit him up, tell him I'm lo- tell him I'm looking for him. I'm looking for you, bro. Come on the stream. <laughs> I'm a big fan, man. Come on the stream and let's talk. <laughs> Um, I'm going to read this. I just thought this was interesting, not fully my thoughts, but I'm going to read this book review and summary by a guy named Brian Farmer from the New American who writes in the book's introduction. Truhella describes the three boxes that the founding fathers established in order to preserve liberty and resist tyranny. The ballot box to remove unjust rulers through the vote, the jury box, not only judge to the facts of the case, but also to judge the law itself and determine whether it is being misapplied or is unjust or immoral, and the cartridge box to allow an armed citizenry not only to repel a foreign invader, but also to act against tyranny from our own government. However, those are not the only tools that the Founding Fathers gave us. And that brings us to the theme and purpose of Truhella's book, the description and application of the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, which he asserts is rooted in scripture and is found throughout human history. He doesn't just assert it, it's true, but okay. (laughs) Truhella assumes that the reader has lived long enough to observe the malignant growth of an overbearing federal government and is ready to move on to the next step. Like, true, yeah. I love when they use that, like, that. Like uh, he assumes. It's like, okay, yeah, we all know it's true. <laughs> we all know it's true. We don't need a thousand-page, multi-thousand-page book explaining it. Like, we just know it's true, right? This book places within the hands of those concerned about our nation a blueprint and means by which a stand can be made against the federal government that has trampled our Constitution, assaults our person, liberty, and property, and impugns the law of God. Because the book looks to an audience of Christians who care about our country's path, the author first works works to convince them that it is their duty to set things right. And it is. The doctrine under consideration is defined in chapter one. The lesser magistrate doctrine declares that when the superior or higher civil authority makes unjust, immoral laws or decrees, the lesser or lower ranking civil authority as both a right and duty to refuse obedience to that superior authority. If necessary, the lower authorities even have the right and obligation to actively resist the superior authority." True. <laughs> In that chapter, Truhella also mentions a number of, of historical examples spanning a period of at least two millennia, and points out that the Bible teaches the principle that when the state commands that which God forbids, or forbids that which God commands, men have a duty to obey God, rather than man. That assertion would seem to contradict Romans 13, reportedly Adolf Hitler's favorite Bible passage, by the way. And, as the title of the book implies, Shuhela takes the matter head-on in Appendix A, which we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Romans 13 in this Appendix A in a minute to end things off here tonight. The particular verses most often cited are the following from the New Living Translation, verses 1-5. through Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. The first proof that Truhella offers to repudiate the so-called divine right of kings is to point out that there is no scripture anywhere in the Bible demanding unlimited obedience to the civil authorities, and that those who support unlimited obedience are simply imposing that idea upon the text. The second proof that Truhella offers is that good hermeneutics, which if you don't know what hermeneutics is, it's the study of the method- methodology methodological principles of interpretation basically the study of what the bible means right what scripture really means requires you know the second proof that surehella offers is that good hermeneutics requires that we not read and interpret a bible passage in a vacuum one of those methodological principles is that scripture interprets scripture which means that a bible passage must be interpreted in the context of the entire Bible, and Trujella points to a number of passages that contradict the divine rights of kings, such as those in Daniel 6 and Acts 5. The third proof that Trujella offers is that Romans 13 contains within itself limitation clauses that limit the authority and function of the civil government and, hence, those clauses make it clear that our obedience to the state is not meant to be unlimited. Specifically, Verses three and four indicate that the civil government is granted authority to reward those who do good and punish those who do evil. But what if the government itself starts to punish those who do good and reward those who do evil? In that case, argues Truhella, we have a duty to obey God and not join in the government's rebellion against God. So true. <laughs> so true. You are to obey a just authority, and you are to resist or rebel entirely against one who is in rebellion against God. At the end of the day, (laughs) what Demon Hunter was saying earlier, at the end of the day, our duty is always to God and to his right ways. And if those around us are acting righteously as well, and serving God with all of their hearts, souls, minds, and strength, then our society will thrive and prosper, at least for a while. things will always be corrupted in time, right? Even the best of empires will will fall in time, given enough time. Victory will make one weak, right? That's what happened in America. America crushed for like 100, 200 years, and then all that crushing leads leads to a downfall, makes people weak. We've talked about it before in my streams, you know, the... um, Empires that they get big and strong, and that ends up corrupting them. That makes them weak. I guess I keep repeating that, but victory makes someone weak. Victory makes someone put their guard down and believe that they have already won. and they don't need to keep working hard, right? And it eventually leads to their downfall. Since we live in a fallen state, and... You know, at least in this place here and now, right? We live in a fallen state and sin still plagues those who have not yet repented and believed in Jesus Christ. We must be on guard against those who seek to rule over us and who seek to lead us into rebellion against our true authority, our Lord and Savior, the one who deserves our love and our trust. It is very important to note, and I've talked about this before and certainly will again, That Romans 13 does not teach complete obedience and submission to civil government and man-made institutions of power. Those who wield this epistle from Paul out of context as some sort of weapon should be known as fools at best and tyrannical-minded people at worst. This is what we are going to end on with here tonight, like I said. Which is uh, just some key passages from... The appendix a near the end of this book um, again the same book the doctrine of the lesser magistrates by matthew truhela he ends with three or four appendixes which are basically like separate kind of mini stories and mini breakdowns appendix a is a title an examination of romans 13 and it just this is just such a crucial thing that needs to be talked about and discussed okay i'm not going to read it all this again this is kind of like a paraphrased version of it For nowhere in Romans 13 does it state that we are to give unlimited obedience to the civil government, rather men just tend to impose such thoughts upon the text. Proper hermeneutics or the interpretation of scripture forbids such a conclusion, that we are to have unlimited obedience to the civil government. Because there are many passages of scripture where the people of God disobey the civil government and are commended by God for doing it. Romans 13 contains limitation clauses that make it clear the civil government's authority is not unlimited. And therefore, nor therefore is our obedience to the civil government to be unlimited. Excuse me by the way. When the state commands that which God forbids or forbids that which God commands, We are to obey God rather than men. We are never to join the man or the ruler in his rebellion against God. When men rule justly, we are not to resist him. But if he rules unjustly, then we are to resist him. We are to now and forever obey God rather than man. You will hear Christians and even leaders within the faith tell people that they should always obey even though there are limitation clauses when it comes to obedience to civil authorities. God's intent for rulers is that they be a terror not to good works, but to evil. They are to praise or reward those who do good. He is to be an avenger, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. These are limitation clauses. This is God's definition Of good government. The idea that we are to always obey the civil government because it is appointed by God is simply absurd. The subjection they are due is not without limits. When they pervert their God given role and function and begin to reward those who do evil and punish those who do good, rather than reward those who do good and punish those who do evil, we then have no duty to obey them rather we have a duty to obey god we must not join in the magistrates rebellion against god ever rather we must be true to the lord the scriptures are clear on this even when we disobey or an unjust or immoral law we benefit the ruler and the people of the nation as a whole we benefit those in authority whether they know it or like it or not. Because, due to our disobedience, they are confronted with the reality of their rebellion against God. Our Christ-obeying disobedience gives them opportunity to recover themselves and turn from their unjust and or immoral deeds. We benefit the people of the nation as a whole because we act as a check against tyranny. Our fealty is to Christ first, not to man. Therefore, when the state makes law that commands that which God forbids, or forbids that which God commands, we obey God rather than man. This can't be repeated and stressed enough, right? And this benefits the entire nation. The tyrant government is not allowed to continue unchecked in its tyranny. This is one way in which Christianity preserves liberty for a nation. As Christians, we suffer at the hands of the state due to our disobedience of their unjust or immoral laws or decrees. The rest of the nation benefits from our suffering because we help rein in a tyrannical government. This has been the history of the church. Like it or not, this has been the timeline in the history of the church and of Christianity in the West. But the ungodly don't see it. They prefer select parts of history where Christian men affirmed the pagan doctrine of the divine right of kings by po- positing, 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 positing an unbiblical interpretation of Romans 13 and teaching unlimited obedience to the state. Like Daniel said to Darius in Daniel 6, "O King, I have committed no crime against you. In other words, an unjust or immoral law is no law at all. As Christian men and women, we may stand, may we stand, true to Christ and to the law and word of God. So what do you guys think? (laughs) So what do y'all think? Comment right now in the chat if you're here with me live still, if I didn't bore you to death. If you're listening at that later date, send me comments. Send me your thoughts on it. Get yourself a book. Get yourself a copy of this. I hope you enjoyed the stream. I hope that you learned something, got some perspective. Um, Again, the book is The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates by Matthew Trujella. And definitely be sure to pick up a copy or four (laughs) and have it in your possession going forward. Whether you're going to read it right now or a month or 10 years from now, make sure you have a copy of it. I will be back next week with a guest. I'm pretty sure sure he's coming on. If not, I have a backup topic ready and prepared if he isn't able to make it work out. Actually, I take that back. I'm talking about two weeks from now. Next week, I'll be back. We're going to talk about the trucker protest and the war in Ukraine and Russia and just all the nonsense going on, all the fun nonsense going on in the world today. And we're going to talk about what this. We're going to talk about how we resist, what our response is to all this, all this stuff. <laughs> all this stuff that's happening in the world today, you know. We're going to talk about our response to everything as Christians and as men of God. And, you know, last week we talked about our authority, our duty to accept God, trust God, give him the rightful authority that he deserves, that he has over us. <laughs> the objective truth of the universe and the objective rule of law that is his. Um, today, tonight, we talked about men's response to man, basically. How we as Christians respond to man's law, civil civil government, civil authority, our right, our duty, and how we respond to it legally and justly, like what our duty is and what our responsibility is, not just like people online that are saying, get your guns and start shooting people, right? It's not the correct response at all. We're not trying to overthrow governments for the sake of ourselves, right? We're not rebelling against man-made authority just because we want to be in charge, because we think we could do a better job, you know? That's not it. You only rebel against your authority when that authority has rebelled against God because your true objective in life is to obey and serve God. When man starts standing in the way of that, that's the only time you are to resist authority. And even then, even when the tyrants rise, even when the crazies take over, the Satanists and the demons and the atheists and the worldly people, whatever, the bad people you want to call and label them as, when the people who want you to worship them instead of God take over, even then, we still have legal means to stand up and oppose them and resist them. And that is the lesser do- lesser magistrate doctrine. The lesser authorities standing up to the higher authorities, legally, civilly. You know? But yeah, so I'll be back next week. We're going to talk about the trucker protest, protests in general. We're going to do some some flashbacks to my previous streams and talk about that kind of stuff. And then we're going to talk about the war that's supposed to happen in two days or whatever. <laughs> all the war drums. So maybe the war happens in two days. Maybe it doesn't happen at all with Russia and Ukraine or whatever. We're going to talk about it. Talk about Talked about God's authority two weeks ago. Talk about our response to man-made authority tonight. And then we're going to talk about what's really happening in the world today. And how all this can apply to that for us as Christians. Um, and then two weeks from now, which is what I wrote down accidentally, we're going to have a guest on the stream. And I hope he shows up. I think we're going to have like three or four guests in a row. I'm trying to line everything up and make everything work out. So tune in again. Monday night's next monday is what the 21st tune in we're talking about the truckers and the russia war war in russia war in ukraine or whatever and then we're gonna have some guests on but as always monday nights we're here almost always at 8 p.m eastern 7 p.m central was that six mountain and five pacific time (laughs) thank you guys uh for tuning in said says thanks thank you as well for always tuning in and for just always being based always keeping my chat in check being a good mod my chat love you and appreciate you brother same with demon hunter bear who says your sharing of this information has been of great value sean keep on keeping on bro yeah thank you hope it wasn't too boring it's like important information that i get it can be kind of boring if you're just listening to me like just speak it out you know but Hopefully it was good. Hopefully it was (laughs) a good job summarizing and paraphrasing this awesome book. And again, I can't recommend getting this book enough for yourself to own it, read it, understand it. And again, to have it in your possession going forward. It's one of those books you need to have a physical copy of. Because they will be coming for stuff like this. And my girlfriend sends hearts on Valentine's Day. So again, happy Valentine's Day, y'all. And to my girlfriend, happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) Oh, sevens, bear sevens in the chat. Um, Until next week, as always, be sure to do good, be good, love and be loved. Seek what is good, true and beautiful. And always obey your true authority first and foremost. Always obey God first and foremost. Never let a man stand in your way. Never let your fellow man stand in between you and your God, your true authority. Submit to the one who deserves it, deserves it. Obey your creator, his laws, and his right ways, or suffer the consequences. (laughs) You will obey God, or you will suffer the consequences. I love you guys. I love all you guys. Happy Valentine's Day. I'll catch you back here next week again. Take care. You are watching or listening to the Jonathan Corey live stream. Be sure to follow and subscribe to my channel wherever you are streaming this and on any of the other sites that you happen to use as well. And be sure to leave some comments or reviews, it would really help me out. You can find my streams on YouTube, Twitch, DLive, Odyssey.com, VK.com, TV.Gab, BitChute, Rumble, and on all of the podcast apps. You can read my blogs at shonathancorey.blogspot.com. My main links are at linktree slash shonathancorey. And you can find the rest of my links, my older secret content, and my guest appearances on other podcasts or streams at shonathancorey.com.